Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Probably for most of us uh, growing up, you probably had this image um, when you were a kid that your parents were just faultless. You know, they were perfect. Um, you, had, you had an uncle maybe that was a little strange, but for the most part, your family was what you would consider normal. And then as you grew up, um, and you saw a little bit more, especially as you became a teenager, you realized your parents were full of faults. You could find them and count them and point them out to all of them. Um, and, and that strange uncle really was just plain crazy. And, and it could possibly be that your family would qualify as dysfunctional. Sometimes families are even worse. And what ought to be a place of safety and acceptance and... Um, Nurturing and love ends up being something quite different. In fact, sometimes, sometimes it's those we love that cause us the deepest pain. And of all of life's relationships, I believe the most important and maybe the most complex and complicated are those relationships that we have within our family. And whether you're here this morning as a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister, a mother, a father, son, daughter, in-law, outlaw, um, wherever you are, There's probably been hurt in your family, conflict, maybe even estrangement and alienation where where one member of the family is just kind of ostracized or has walked off and and had nothing to do with the rest of you. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. That the conflicts and the hurts and the misunderstandings have so strained relationships that, that you're just kind of tempted to just write them off. You know, just write them off, be done with them, move on with my life. Forget them. It's their problem, not mine. The problem, trouble is this. Your past relationships don't stay in the past. They don't. You always carry a little bit of that with you into present relationships. And you discover that family relationships, whether you admit it or not, impact your life far more than you ever thought. And you carry a little bit of that hurt and the pain and the scars into present relationships. And sometimes you lash out or you do things in present relationships and you wonder, what, where did that come from? And you can almost trace it back directly. There is this dynamic that, that we always carry a bit of the past with us. And, and that can be destructive because past pain, hurt, and scar, that can carry over and destroy present relationships. It can, it can just eat away at them. But that very same dynamic can be put into a positive use through the process of reconciliation. That you can actually, by reconciling with the past, bring reconciliation into the present and pass that on and do something positive with that very same dynamic. This morning, we're going to finish up this series we've entitled Insomnia, What Keeps You Awake at Night? Family pressures, stresses, strains, all the things that kind of cause you to lose sleep. And this morning, we're going to look at one called Family Conflict. And it's all about reconciliation. And we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament. If you want to turn there, it's Genesis 32. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, it's the very first book of the Bible. So it's going to be like in the page around page 60, 70, 80, somewhere around there. Genesis chapter 32. It's actually um, the culmination of a long story. So let me kind of bring you the story so far. Um, maybe you might remember this. Maybe if you raised in Sunday school, you probably heard this story. But it all goes back to Abraham. Abraham was promised by God that he would be the father of a great nation. That, in fact, all nations of the world would be blessed through his lineage. Problem was, he had no kids. 
And then in his old age, because of God's intervention, he and his wife, Sarah, had one son named Isaac. Isaac grew up, married, and married a woman named Rebekah, and they had twin boys. Their names were Esau and Jacob. Now, these were twin boys, but they were not identical twins. They were fraternal twins. They were, couldn't have been more different. As they grew up, it became more and more apparent. Esau was the outdoorsman. Okay? He was the hunter guy. He was, he was the manly man. He was, um, think um, man versus wild. What's the guy's name? Bear Grill, something like that. You know, it's got a manly name. You know, survivor kind of guy. Always taking his shirt off. Okay, that's Esau. All right? <laughs> Jacob was like the exact opposite. He was more citified. He liked hanging around in the city. He liked being around in the tents. And his great claim to fame was he was a great, great cook. Think Iron Chef. Okay? <laughs> Um, Alton Brown, the guy with the glasses and the kind of balding hair, okay? Picture those two guys in your mind. Extreme opposites. And because of that, because of their differences, they actually, each parent had a favorite. The father, Isaac, his favorite was Esau. He was the oldest. He was the manly man. He was the hunter. He was the, he was the macho guy. And, of course, Rebecca, she loved Jacob because anybody that would cook for her and get her out of the kitchen, man, that's good news to her, all right? So Jacob is her favorite. And of course, that causes division in the family and all kinds of dysfunction. And everything becomes, becomes a competition. So what happens is they grow up. Um, <clears throat> one day, Esau goes out. He comes back from hunting. He's been gone a couple of days. He comes back from hunting. He has caught nothing, shot nothing. He's coming back. He is famished. He's hungry. He's been living on, you know, berries and leaves and whatever it is, you know, he's doing that in survival mode, okay? He's coming back into town, and here's his brother Jacob, and he's preparing a stew. And he is just like so hungry. He is famished. He's like dying of starvation. And he comes in, and he smells the stew, and he says, oh, give me some of the stew to eat. And his brother Jacob says, not so fast. You got to pay for it. He says, well, what do you want? He says, sell me your birthright. Now, birthright was very, very important because birthright entitled you to a double portion of the inheritance. So birthright meant you got more of the inheritance. Even more than that, it became like the patriarch of the family. Through his line, everything else was going to continue. His, he was going to be the head of the household once his father died. So birthright entitled all of these things to him. But like he is so hungry. He is just like starving to death. And he says to himself, you know, what good is a birthright going to do me? Because I'm going to die of starvation if I don't eat right now. So he says, sure, you can have the birthright. Give me the stew. Now, you got to believe that Jacob was a great cook because he made lentil stew. You know, I don't know if he's a vegetarian, but he made lentil stew. And he made it smell and taste good enough that it was worth a birthright. So they made the trade. He said, sure, it's yours. He said, swear to me. Swear to me. That's done. And so he connived his older brother out of the birthright. Well, now time goes on. Uh, Isaac gets older. In fact, he's near death. Doesn't even know how much longer he has to live. He's gone blind in his old age. Um, and he, he just decides he's about to die. It is time to pass on the blessing. Now, the blessing goes to the oldest son. And the blessing, that was, it wasn't just like, you know, may you live long and prosper. You know? it, was, um, it was actually prophetic. It was actually speaking a prophecy over the son. And so what he said to his favorite son, Esau, is go out catch some game, cook me your best venison stew, bring it back to me, feed me from, what you're, from the bounty of your hunting, and I will bless you. So Esau goes out, while Rebecca hears the, overhears the conversation, and she comes up with a plan. And so with her son Jacob, her favorite, she connives to con the old man out of the blessing as well. She gets him to put on um, Esau's coat so he smells like him. 
you know, has him go roll, roll, roll around in the dirt. I don't know what she does, but she can make him smell like him. They put um, lamb skin on his arm so he would feel like, you know, the hair of the arm and, and everything. So, so he goes to his father and he brings him this stew, which I don't know, again, if it was lentil or not. But he brings a stew. His dad eats of it. And he says, now, father, bless me. He says, well, are you sure it's you? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, just smell me. You know, feel my arms, you know. So he cons his dad. His dad gives him the blessing. A, a part of the blessing was, may you rule over your brother. So now Jacob has not only gotten the birthright that he manipulated his brother's hunger out of, now he's conned his dad to get the blessing as well. So Esau comes back from the field. He comes, makes his stew, comes to his dad and says, okay, father, now bless me. And he says, well, who are you? <laughs> well, I'm your son Esau. Oh, no, you were just here. Esau was just here. I already gave him a blessing. You gave, you did what? Well, I gave him the blessing. He says, he, that, wasn't, that wasn't Esau. That was, that was Jacob. He conned you. He connived you out of it. He says, isn't there anything left for me? He says, well, I've already pronounced the blessing. He says, well, isn't there anything left for me? So his father kind of gives him a little bit of a token blessing, but it's not near what Jacob got. And, and Esau decides that that day, he is like enraged. And he said, I'm not going to do anything as long as my dad's alive. But he swears, once my father's dead, I'm going to kill my brother. And again, Rebecca hears of this. She calls Jacob and says, okay, slight change of plans. You got to get out of Dodge because your dad's about to die and it's not going to be good. So you're going to go. I'm sending you off back to my, own, my home country, sending you back 450 miles away to go with her brother Laban. Packs him up, sends him off. Father dies Esau's enraged. Jacob's nowhere to be found. He's escaped. Jacob, meanwhile, goes off to um, 450 miles away to Laban's house. And while he is there, he gets married. He marries two wives. Um, and he's got two maidservants and a whole passel of kids. And if you think your family's dysfunctional, okay, this takes the cake. And here he is living 450 miles away. And God speaks to him and says, it's time to go back home. It's time to go back home. And that's where we pick up the story. And it's there that you get the first principle when it comes to reconciliation. And it's this. You pursue reconciliation regardless of your expectations. Because reconciliation is God's idea. See, it's God that speaks to him. Chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Now understand, Jacob is fine with the way things are. He's got a nice life now. He's got a whole bunch of kids. He's, he's got flocks and herds. He's, he's becoming a, um, a success. He's like, everything is going well for him. And, and there's no reason for him to want to make that 450-mile trek back. He is very happy with the 450-mile distance between them. He's got all kinds of reasons not to go back. All kinds of reasons to stay. Number one being his life. And here's the deal. If you're a Christ follower and you put your life in Christ's hands, somewhere along the line, there's a broken or strained or alienated relationship. And God's going to say to you, it's time to reconcile. It's time to reconcile. You've got to go make that right. And you will have all kinds of reasons. Everything within you will say things like, but you don't understand. It's been, 
it's been so long and I got hurt so bad. Or maybe I, did, I messed up so badly they won't take me back. Or, or, or you know, what if they don't reciprocate? What if, what if they don't want to talk to me? How am I going to do that? It's not, and I, even, I tried that already. God, it's not going to work. And everything within you is going to come up with all kinds of excuses. And God is going to say to you, it's time to go back. Repair the relationship. It's time to reconcile. Because you have now experienced grace. You've experienced the healing power of God's mercy and love. And when he has forgiven you of so much, you are also to forgive. Because he has reconciled you to himself, you are now to be a reconciler. And because of his mercy and his grace, you have been given a whole new set of standards. You have been given a whole new perspective on life and a whole new approach to relationships. You have a whole brand new operating system. It's like you have been struggling with Windows and Windows XP and Windows Vista and Windows 7. And now you have discovered the genius of Mac. And it's like a whole new world has opened to you, okay? That's, that's what happens. That God so transforms your life by his mercy and his grace that you have a whole different operating system. The old programs don't work anymore. And he says, it's time to go back. And you might be struggling with that this morning. And God's been talk, talking to you and speaking to you about a relationship, a strained relationship, a brother or sister, maybe a, a, a child or a father, mother. He said, it's time to go back. And everything within you says, but you don't understand God. He says, I want you to do it. So Jacob, he isn't sure what he's going to expect, but he has a pretty good idea. It's not going to be good. So he decides he's going to obey God. He's going back. But as he does, what he does is he sends out messengers, envoys ahead of him, some of his, some of his workers, some of his servants, with gifts to go out ahead of him. Because he's kind of sending them out to find out what's the temperature of the relationship. You know? How is Esau doing? How, you know, how is this going to happen? Is this going to work out okay? So he goes, sends them off with these gifts, try, gifts and trying to you know, kind of ease the way back. And he sends them out there, and they come back in the report, and they come back with good news, bad news, okay? The good news is, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. The bad news is, and 400 men are with him. <laughs> and he's scared to death. He doesn't know what to do now. And the only, he can th- the only thing he can think of is, he divides up the caravan. His wives, maidservants, all the kids, divides them into two groups. Because his figuring is, well, if Esau attacks one group, at least maybe half of my family will get away safely. And so he comes up with this plan. He splits up the family, and then he goes to God alone to pray. And listen to his prayer. Verse 9. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. What he's doing is he's reminding God, I'm in this lineage. Remember me? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's me. He says, you, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Verse 11, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. That is the prayer God loves to hear. See, what Jacob is saying is, God, this was not my idea. (laughs) 
I'm not doing this because I want to. This is not the thing that I would have done. I'm very happy 450 miles away. I've got no idea how this is going to turn out. You got me into this mess. I didn't want to do it, but you called me to do this, and I'm going to obey you. But if I'm going to obey you, Lord, I got to have, you got to come through because I can't fix this on my own. For all of his conniving, all of his plotting, all of his scheming, all the way that he wangled his way through life, none of that's going to save him at this point. And all he can do is say, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I need you to rescue me. You see, that's the deal. You pursue reconciliation regardless of what you think might happen because reconciliation is God's idea. Second principle is this. Then you pursue reconciliation because of God's work within you. Because God's goal in reconciliation is not necessarily the same as yours. It may not end up being happily ever after. It, 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 just, it may not work out the way that you would like it to. You see, it, it's real easy. It's real easy to reconcile if I could just get somebody to see my point of view. Because that's usually our goal in reconciliation. You got to understand how much you hurt me. You got to understand how, how mean you've been to me. You got to understand what I, the circumstance. You got to understand what was going on in my life. You got to understand me. And that's not God's goal. God's goal in reconciliation, as much as reconciling the relationship, is the work that He wants to do in you. And that's why He says you got to commit yourself to the process. And what happens is, as he goes to sleep that night, a man comes and attacks him. And he wrestles with him. In fact, he wrestles with him all night long. It says, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. All night long. Now, he doesn't know it yet. He doesn't know it. But this is God. God has come in what is called a theophany. When God makes an appearance in a way that a man can see him and understand him. And he reveals himself to them. It's called the theophany. And the principle is this, that God reveals himself in ways that people can see him and understand him better. And that's what God is doing here. What's happening is he gets into this wrestling match and he thinks it's an enemy that he's going to have to beat. He thinks it's someone that he can defeat and win against. What he finds out before too long is he can't win this battle. In fact, it says down in verse 25 that the, the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, he is, now he's crippled. He can't go on in this wrestling match. And now all he can do is just hang on, hang on. And as he's hanging on, he's asking, bless me. Before I let you go, you got to bless me. And what happens is he doesn't know it, but he's wrestling with God. And what God has done for him is he has brought him face to face with Jacob and all of his life. Because all of Jacob's life has been a struggle. All of Jacob's life has been about self-interest. All of Jacob's life has been about me taking care of me. Yes, God promised blessings, but I got to make it happen. He, he finagled his brother out of, the, out of the blessing and out of the birthright. He went off to his father-in-law and finagled his father-in-law out of sheep and goats. He, he, everything that he has done all of his life has been conniving and plotting and scheming and getting his way. And what God has been showing him is, the reality is you've been wrestling with me all along. The wrestling match that you have been involved with all of your life has been with me. And you aren't going to win that one. What God does 
is he brings to Jacob a tangible reality of the struggle of his life. And he's been good at it, but he's not going to win this one. And what God does, God brings him down so that he can now bring him back up. So this is the blessing, verse 28. He says, so now your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Now it sounds like Jacob won the match. You've overcome. But Jacob knows better. You read down in verse 30, it says, the reality is, Jacob says, I saw the face of God and yet my life was spared. But what God has done is he's brought him face to face with himself and all of his struggles and all of his self-interest and all of his fighting and struggling to get what he wanted in life. And he's torn that all away. So now you're going to trust me. And he changes his name from Jacob, which means conniver or usurper. And he changes his name to Israel, which means God's struggler. Because he's given him a bigger picture for his life. It's not just about you. Not just about how you can make things work for you. It's about something bigger. And it's a very, very different Jacob that goes out the next day to meet Esau. In fact, you read further down, chapter 33, as he goes out there, verse 3. It says that he himself went on ahead of all of the divided up camps and bowed down to the, on the ground seven times as he approached his brother. As he made his way out to meet his brother, still not knowing how he was going to be received. But it's a different Jacob now. And he goes out and he gets close and he bows down on his face. Stays there for a while and then he gets up and takes a few more steps maybe and bows down again. And he does this seven times as he comes. He is willing to be humbled for the sake of the relationship. That God is doing something in his life that has changed him. And that's just as important, if not more important, than the actual restoration of the relationship. You pursue reconciliation regardless of your expectations. You do it because of God's work within you. And then here's the third principle, that you pursue reconciliation for the sake of future generations. I said at the beginning that there is this dynamic that you always carry a piece of your past with you. You always carry those past hurts from past relationships into the present relationships and they cloud and they tinge and they pollute the present relationships. That very same dynamic can be used in the process of reconciliation. And just as past hurts can be brought forward into the present, so can reconciliation and be passed down to the next generation. Jacob and Esau do reunite. And actually, as you read the story, they reunite. It's very reminiscent of the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son when his father welcomes him and hugs him and falls on his neck and kisses him and cries on him and welcomes him back. That's the reunion that they have. And there's a whole lot of catching up to do. And, and Jacob begins to introduce all of his family, his, his maidservants and, and his wives and, and the children. In fact, you pick it up in chapter 33, verse 6. He says, then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Then Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Now, did you notice there's only one of the sons whose name is mentioned? Made sermons and their kids, Leah, their kid, her kids, and Joseph and Rachel. And that's not by accident. 
Because you see, Jacob had his own problem with favoritism. He had a favorite named Joseph. This is the Joseph who got the coat of many colors. This is the same Joseph that is attacked by his brothers and sold off into slavery. This is the same Joseph that ends up in Egypt, an Egyptian prison. This is the same Joseph that gets rescued from the prison and rises to the point of prime minister of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh himself. This is the same Joseph who puts in place a whole um, gathering process so that in the years of plenty, there will be storage left up for the years of famine because when the famine hits, this is the same Joseph whose 11 brothers come and beg for food. And there's another confrontation of brothers. And it's Joseph. And they don't know him. They don't recognize him. It's been years. And this same Joseph, who had also been a favorite in a dysfunctional family, comes face to face with those who pretty much destroyed his life. And I believe he hearkens back And thinks back to a reconciliation that happened 20, 30 years ago. When his uncle Esau welcomed his father, Jacob, back. And he pays it forward. And he says to them, Genesis 15, 50, 20. It's the very last book of the Genesis, last chapter in Genesis. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Here is the point. Here is the point. That God always works redemptively. God always works redemptively. God has this incredible ability to redeem every situation. To reconcile every relationship. God does that. It's what he does. He always is at work redemptively. For your deepest hurts, for your most painful scars, he always works redemptively. Even if the person that hurt you did it intentionally, did it for evil, God can work redemptively. Because that's what God does. God redeems. God reconciles. God restores. And if you think, I can't do that, that is just way too hard. I've given up on that person. I want nothing more. If we just go our separate ways and never have to talk to each other again, that would be fine with me. I wash my hands. I I don't want to do this. Then I just want you to think, what if your heavenly father decided, that's enough. There's no hope for these people. It's not going to work. Never going to change. I wash my hands of them. I'm done. See, what God did was he paid the ultimate sacrifice for us in sending his son to die on a cross. Not because we deserved it. Because of his love. He reconciled us back to him. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul put it this way, verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.